0: Welcome to the Table Stakes podcast, presented by Xenial, where we discuss the business and technology issues affecting enterprise restaurant brands. I'm your host, Andy Grindstaff, restaurant enthusiast, technology optimist, and one of the product leads here at Xenial. Today I'm joined by Chris Siefkin, Zenial's uh, head of technology, and Jason Brazil, the director of architecture and innovation at Denny's. So welcome guys. Thanks for having me. So Jason. Um, As tired as we are, all are of the words pivot and and reinvent and all those buzzwords that uh, the industry likes to throw around, uh, COVID-19, this this era of the coronavirus, has prompted restaurants everywhere to do exactly that. And Denny's is certainly uh, no exception. So I'm excited to have you here to share uh, with us what you and and Denny's have been through and and kind of where where your mind's at going forward. At Xenial, we've seen that off-premises ordering across our platform, just in general, has increased by you know 260% since the pandemic started. Um, so people are thinking a lot about off-premises ordering. Um, I guess we'll 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 start there. Um, what types of what types of shifts have you made uh, in terms of off-premises ordering? What, what have been some of the focuses you guys have been looking at?
1: So can we add new normal to the words that we absolutely <laughs> don't want to get anymore? Ab- I definitely absolutely. want that. I don't want that to be Webster's new word for 2020. I think there's so many that we could have, but new normal definitely does not need to be that. Uh, It's a big shift. So Denny's was primarily thinking about off-premise for a long time. We launched our DoD platform in 2017, and it was a big deal. And so as we made this continual shift over... Uh, we started to really see the 12% of sales. And, and honestly, when we say 12% of sales was off-premise, that also includes a lot of people, uh, I'm sitting there and I want to order and take something home with me, or I'm calling in, or uh, I'm, I'm coming in and ordering and just waiting on it. So off-premise mean, means a lot of things. But that 12% was a really big number. It was a good number. It was a target. Uh, but honestly, uh, a lot of that did come from third party, from the implementation of the Uber Eats and DoorDash uh, national partnership with DoorDash that we have. Uh, and, and the rollouts of our DoD platform, so our Denny's On Demand platform from that perspective. Um, A big chunk of, so if you think about it, we were about 30% direct channel uh, and about 70% of that was coming from third-party channels, which we all know about the fees and everything that our franchisees pay uh, that make those less profitable sales for those delivery platforms. So our big shift was how do we get more people onto Denny's On Demand and that's been a big focus for us is getting that direct channel going. And then all of a sudden COVID hits and that Twelve percent, literally overnight, becomes almost a hundred percent. You know, we talk about percentages and percentages and growth, but we've never seen anything where those make sense anymore. We need to talk mm-hmm. about dollars uh, at some point of how many more dollars in sales we had, how it didn't negatively affect the huge losses that we had as part of these. Um, this coronavirus or lockdown uh, that we're continuing to see, and so in re- in states where we are primarily are, you know, think about Denny's. Denny's a lot of our our travel areas, but a lot of our big travel states, so Texas, California, and Florida, which are the continuing to open and close and open and close and move through tiers. Uh, those are our biggest hits, So they were huge impacts uh, to Denny's. And before I could have. Uh, I could have an outage potentially on Denny's On Demand where maybe we had a login issue, and it might not even go noticed for an hour, much less be a major issue. Uh, I was down for 17 minutes on a Sunday afternoon uh, from an outage with Olo, and and uh, I had restaurant owners calling me threatening to close their locations. The restaurants were going to close wow. because they could not access online ordering, and it was the only means of them getting any sort of orders in. So between third party and that, it really became this major shift in the business. We spent about three months as the only channel, not the omni-channel. And so that was really a big focus shift for us is how do you keep this up and running and how do I not get uh, yelled at or set on fire because it goes down for any amount of time? (laughs) Tensions are high.
2: I have a bit of a follow-up question on that. So, um, you know, one of the things that we've seen, as you said, is this high dependence on the, on the channel. Like, it's the only channel, not the omni-channel. I like that. Um, did you guys get uh, – and so today is Monday, I think, the 31st of August, right? Yesterday, there was this huge CenturyLink outage, which CenturyLink has bought Level 3 and these, you know, enormous ISP affecting you know, North America and Europe. i wondering if you guys got uh, affected or impacted by that. So um, much. Yeah. And, and, you know, what, what do you think about, uh, you know, we jokingly said 2020 was the year of (laughs) you didn't want to go to, if you got into a time machine, I mean, uh, (laughs) what, what keeps you up at night on those, on those fronts?
1: All of it. I mean, it's the reality that, that. I'm not the only thing that I can fix on some of this stuff so whenever we're talking about API issues or maybe it was increasing size of of gateways or uh, anything that the cloud brought us because if you think about it very quickly let's let's talk about the the cloud environment the cloud infrastructure for a second Uh, we went from Uh, 6% of orders, right? It was half of the 12% that I was talking about that were coming through these third-party marketplaces, and only 30% of that was me, right? That was the the Denny's On Demand direct channel, where my website and my Olo infrastructure really mattered, and then becoming the only channel, moving down that path. We had to scale so quickly. I had no time to wait on uh, ordering hardware and shipping stuff out and having network issues or bandwidth issues. Overnight, everybody went home. And so we had to start to be able to handle that traffic. So honestly, the first two weeks of this was right-sizing that Azure spend or the cloud-based spend to be able to say, okay, I've got the right-size servers. I can handle the traffic. And even then, I'll give you guys a perfect example of something that happened in uh, on on Mother's Day. Mother's Day fell this year on the same day that Mexican Mother's Day fell, and so we had both of those hit, which was a perfect storm of the mm-hmm. largest sales day of traffic we had ever had. And so when you think about that kind of traffic, at the same time, we potentially had uh, some out of country um, suspicious traffic hitting our sites for about 45 minutes and they slowed the site to a crawl. These are things that that amount of traffic and volume that I literally hit the limits of what we had originally set to what we could even expand beyond. So that infrastructure was one key thing that kept me up at night for a long time while we right-sized, while we rebuilt all of that. Uh, and and that was a big deal, but also network. It, it's the exactly what you're saying. The CenturyLink outage did affect us, uh, not because it affected my customer's ability to hit my site or the customer's ability to go and browse the site and browse the orders and browse the venue and OLA and everything else on that but even if they placed an order the stores were all offline the last mile was not there our entire uh, chain was down from a huge uh, network which is primarily the, the the network provider for our data centers mm-hmm. um, out, out, out in Las Vegas um, so that ability for us to, to have that outage and have it affect those restaurants our sales are going to be significantly impacted on a very busy Sunday where California is still shut down yeah So
0: you actually, you know, you kind of segued into the next thing I wanted to ask you, which was with this COVID time, it's caused a lot of restaurant brands to kind of accelerate some plans they had both with technology and with operations and guest experience you know they've had some plans and they've you know either had to accelerate some things that much faster than they would ever plan to do or uh, you know had to change that in some way how have you guys at Denny's accelerated any of your technology or operations plans and how has it also differed from what you had originally planned
1: think about the 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 digital shift in priorities so when priority when digital is 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 half of a half of a half of a percent that they say uh, versus becoming the only channel, we have to be able to make that shift and say, okay, now we're going to launch things very differently. We had very in-store, in-restaurant-specific priorities uh, that we're going to launch in M2, that we're going to launch uh, for, for, for Q2, Q3 this year. And all of a sudden, all of those priorities shifted to the launch of curbside, to the launch of, uh, of, of evaluation of new normal technologies taking a look at the things that are going on in the industry and trying to figure out how these things play with us. How do QR codes fit into our strategy? How does mobile and digital and web fit into our strategy? What technologies are we going to invest in that get us through this? Uh, whereas we had p- potentially been planning uh, our next generation platforms, our next generation technology platforms, working with Zennial on those things and uh, and be, being able to get those into restaurants. And, and, and now we're having to shift back and say, okay, what can we do now how can we move tablets more quickly into our restaurants how can we make our our in restaurant experience now a in parking lot experience Mm -hmm. yeah you guys certainly
0: didn't have the benefit of having a lot of drive-through locations like some of the other you know major brands and so being a primarily sit-down restaurant I mean you guys really had to had to pivot hard um so in what ways then are you kind of informing or confirming your decisions to see if they work well. Like what what are some of the metrics or some of the pieces of data that you're looking at to find out are we doing well? I know we're in a bit of a scramble drill here. Like 2020 is just a scramble drill. But um, are you using any any kind of metrics or uh, pieces of, of things you can monitor that you know will help you know, hey, we're doing the right thing or, or we need to change what we're doing?
1: We, we seem to be doing a lot of reacting right now. I mean, I think the entire restaurant industry is very reactive um, because we don't know week to week which restaurants are going to be open. We've we've done everything from um, helping to prepare for the in-restaurants when they reopen. Uh, we did that a lot of that work in California to try to get back to a larger in-restaurant capacity. Um, we've seen, uh, of course, then very quickly they shifted back and closed the restaurants again. So those investments became future investments for whenever things reopen again. Uh, We've seen those technology shifts around uh, online become a big area of focus. So how do we change the, the curbside game? How do we change the way that we're thinking about out of restaurant experiences, digital experiences, and the, and the numbers and levers on that are really around orders, are really around the, the the share of stomach is the way that our marketing team reflects it because that's one of the things I keep hearing from the marketing. Um, we're not just competing against the the fast casuals anymore. We're competing against QSR. We're competing against pizza places for late night. We're competing against everybody, uh, and so our our standard answer of these are our top competitors in the fast casual. Casual breakfast or day part spaces uh, it is a very different world where we're thinking about how do we compete not only with um, uh, the the other share of stomach providers whoever you want to order food food from especially on delivery platforms but even some of those delivery platforms themselves for feature and functionality to drive more of them to the direct channel
2: yeah I think I mean I think one of the questions I would have is do you have any I mean, have you guys started to even talk about what new normal is? Like, yeah, that's the worst. No, that like buzzword. Said, I've heard be... you both say it. Eh, it's horrible. It's horrible. It's a horrible word. It's like it's something I personally don't even want to think about. You know, we all want to think about it's going to be the way it was. Right. Um, I mean, and lots of people think or say that, hey, the the reality of um, the world is, is changed permanently um, and you know, it's almost impossible to answer the question, but at the same time, have you guys started to talk about what potentially the new <laughs> the new normal looks like? I mean, uh, we need a better word for it for sure.
1: It's a conversation that we continually have. It, it, it really is. It's it's a it spawned a significant amount of, of uh, marketing data. Um, it's spawning a significant amount of technology decision making, and and the new normal does become. Our normal at some point, and and that's really the key is is what do we do when we get there, and how do we prepare if the new normal is not ready yet? Um, I think we all live in fear of another lockdown, of another uh, round of this next year, another change in the in the weather uh, that maybe affects us just like this has, and so we're we're trying to say, okay, what can we do that makes us more profitable and makes our franchisees more profitable coming out of this humongous crisis that has decimated a lot of their. Um, their excess, their ability to withstand uh, and grow and around uh, around some of this and how do we start to prepare for getting back to being in business getting back to growing our business uh, while also mentally preparing for the shift in consumer sentiment and understanding the consumer sentiment of, um, this has been a major change to things that that we know. So I spent a lot of years in grocery and global grocery, and so I know a significant amount about how European markets uh, really function in that contactless way. So things that you would never see before uh, being a major push in the U.S. We always really struggled with why why is the U.S. not adopting this touchless card, uh, mm-hmm. the 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 the. the RF the RFID tap right the NFC taps uh, of the card as opposed to even inserting the chip and now you're starting to really see that be a major push in the. US uh, where they think that a large number of our consumers are going to be using that uh, this this push to uh, a contactless world where we saw the QR code menus happen, everywhere, including at Denny's, uh, to be able to be a big shift away from these paper and, and, and menu management. And that means a big focus on a web presence and a mobile and digital presence. Um, these are all new normals. These are all things that we have to consider as we're rolling these things out. How are we going to manage? Uh, I've got a, a potential, how are we going to manage over a million QR codes so that I have these variations? How, how do you even manage that many QR codes and know where it's pointing to and manage the links behind it and have the systems in place to be able to scan? though so that it ties the QR code manufacturer to the link to the back end CRM system where it gets delivered or the mobile and digital platform? How do I tie it into my mobile app and make sure that that's part of it? And curbside being the option. how, How do I continue to give my customers options in ways that I've got to truly meet them where they want to be? Uh, that's really the big shift. is uh, It's not about coming to Denny's and having the experience that Denny's is providing you. It's about coming to any restaurant and having the restaurant experience that you want. Maybe I want a curbside experience. Maybe I want to be met outside and not have to go in. Maybe I want to have a third party delivery where all I have to do is uh, uh, place the order on your on your system and 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 then have it delivered. But oh, by the way, I don't expect to pay a lot more for that delivery because that's just part of the convenience that you owe me. And so. I think one of the biggest shifts for this, Chris, is, is that as we think about the, the technology solutions, and I, I've said this for a couple of years about mobile apps, and now I'll say it about in-restaurant digital experiences, there used to be this thing where people were wowed by new technology. You could really wow them with something new that you want to do. And now it's, if you don't have this, this is the table stakes by which I, I judge you and will, dis, and will walk away from your brand if you don't have it.
2: Yeah, I think I mean I have kind of two follow up questions. The first, you know, around um, around size of the average ticket, right? You know, we talk a lot about that um, and how you know historically it's it's sort of no secret that most um, most restaurants and QSRs want to uh, do online ordering and delivery and or uh, kiosk because they increase average ticket allows you greater customization and um there's no guilt between you and the other side of that screen (laughs) about what you're ordering and you know anecdotally i've seen it myself where i would i would never walk into a place and order perhaps the amount of food that i order and like uh you know anecdotally my my uh, stepdaughter ordered from Denny's the other day and i think she bought about fifty dollars worth of food just for herself right (laughs) and um and there was like some kind of crazy customize your own grand slam um six ways from sunday i don't know (laughs) um But, uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think there's some questions about that. And is that, is that helping to offset some of the challenges in the traffic? And then um, maybe a follow-up question would be, you know, what about the, you know, I, I definitely hear you about the table stakes for, um, uh, for technology, but, but it seems like operations is a big factor in that. And, you know, how, like we've done a lot of guest facing technology. How, um, how do you think operational technology might change because of some of this stuff um, that we're talking about here
1: so hitting the first question I think you have to really yes uh, can we increase the size of, um, of the basket of the order uh, on an online perspective absolutely and we've seen that that online basket size increase that's been a good thing uh, does it make up for the fact that people aren't ordering drinks? I mean, think about where fast mm. casual, as opposed to QSR, take-home food potentially does win that battle uh, versus fast casual. The in-restaurant experience is, is all about upsell, cross-sell, uh, um, bata, or the the beverages, add-ons, and, and, and desserts. And and that's not something you get online. There's no cross-sell, upsell functionality inherent to an online platform. You have to build that. You have to build that type of interaction and a user user flow. So there's a big shift in the way we think about, again, the table stakes of just providing a great online experience that gets you from start to finish and lets you put items into a cart and check out very well. That's one thing, but now, giving a a, a server-assisted order experience online with the UX, where UX, Andy, and you know I love this part, the UX becomes the big part of it. It's not just about how quickly or how many clicks. It's what else am I adding to that value to drive upsell and cross-sell in the way that we think about these mobile apps. That's not been a focus in the fast-casual space because the fast-casual space ordering in online was really just another platform. It was just extra money when it becomes the only way to make money then you have to start applying all of those in restaurant theories to what they have and how they make business to the online experience without the server without training and operations being the real win there Uh, we've seen that as as we start working with um, uh, off-premise call center ordering uh, and and helping make sure that we're managing that more effectively so that is an announced initiative that we're working with uh, to, to work on helping our upsell and cross sell from our dial in and call center orders to really help that because it allows our in restaurant staff to be more focused on the, on the customers that we do have, uh, as we've had to manage that. And second part of your question, remind me just real quick.
2: Um, yeah, I think the second part was, uh, you know, how, how does technology, you know, we've done a lot of work together on building out great consumer experiences and, you know, from our perspective, from the from Xenial's perspective, a lot of our focus has been around enabling, you know, teams like yours to build your user experience on top of our APIs and and provide that plumbing. You know, Xenial's not a household name, but we, we certainly touch a lot of consumers out there. I wonder, you know, what do you think that the operations component of the restaurant may, you know, may be impacted here? So, you know, not, not just, I know, converting, um parking, parking lots to more of a car hop type business is, is one of the things that you guys have done. But I wonder, does this impact kitchen operations? Um, does this potentially impact, um, you know, behavior when we get back in the store where I've already ordered and I'm just sitting down? I mean, what do you think, um, the long-term implications of, of, uh, impact to the actual operations in the store are going to be?
1: So we talked about, uh, and answering the second part of your question, we talked about the, the impact of the contactless aspect of it. How do I, I? I don't have to have menus anymore, or I have to change the way I think about menus and and, and the, the the touch interfaces that we do. Um, I have to think about the way that 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 contactless affects tabletop and tabletop kiosks and the things that a customer wants to have that somebody else is touching uh, on their table. And then from that perspective of the the interaction itself you know it's it's really about how do I get that order more quickly and honestly I'll tell you one of the biggest things when you have a lower capacity in your restaurants you're not able to get their table turns become so much more important We've got to get people in, fed, and out. And that doesn't mean having that additional four or five minutes to take the order, walk back, and put it into POS. The in-hand tablet for taking the order that saves those few minutes become very important to table turns, especially when you're operating at 25, 50, and 75% of your previous on a Sunday morning on the West Coast, as an example. So those are big things from an operations perspective. Um, I don't think it's any secret, and I'm not sharing anything, that there's a major shift in the way we think about delivery. Uh, delivery is a significant number of new options that are coming out. And the first one I can I can talk about is virtual restaurants. Uh, virtual restaurants are something that it's really just about marketing yourself a little differently on these third-party platforms. And and that means those things coming into Kitchen Video in a slightly different way. If they need mm-hmm. to be packaged slightly different, if they need to be packaged under another another moniker or some sort of, of alias for your brand uh, to be able to do that, those are all things that are... Um, actively rolling and 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 you've got to be able to handle those differently for operations because operations is the biggest impact. All these dreams and big dreams that I did that marketing comes up with eventually hit and land in that kitchen. And so having a strong KVS, a strong platform, and a very flexible set of destinations for where these sales destinations are going to hit so that we can track these ultimately, like you said on the back end, to understand the profitability. The new normal is a reactive, 2020 we react to how the markets doing we react to how the governors are managing their their tiers of where they are in the shutdown we react to the business climates and the franchisees and so there's a lot of reaction going on, but there's got to be a lot of great data. And that all comes in how these orders are coming in and how they're lining up in the transactions so that they can hit our business intelligence teams and be sliced out for the business to truly make decisions based on these things. And that really is all about the flexibility within our POS system of being able to show that data in the right way because it's getting entered in the right way.
2: I was going to say that probably brings us to a good next question, which is, you know, what are you looking for in a partner you know when you're when you're working on building these solutions and trying to figure out how to react to your point to the next thing 2020 is going to throw at us.
1: Yeah, I, I think the key thing for me, and this is something uh, when I was doing innovation work, and we were always kind of on that cutting edge of OpenCV or augmented reality or whatever. You can't bring me a third of a solution. Um, that that was really the big focus for us was we 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 always got a third of a solution. Someone had a great algorithm or somebody had a great. One part of a platform, but uh, it's like you said when when, when we work with Zenial as an example, you you give us the capability to work within our own customization. If you don't, if we need to work outside of the API structure that you have built. But you also have those additional resources to help us build a custom front end for something or help us build a solution specifically for that, as opposed to saying, oh, we gotta go find another partner. Uh, because managing multiple partners is already the nightmare that most restaurateurs or most franchisors, especially, are dealing with. They're dealing with franchisees with their own. Systems, they're dealing with one offs and and, and CSV file uploads and XML outputs. Uh, They're cutting between an e commerce platform and a POS system or multiple POS systems uh, and multiple versions of POS systems and hardware. And they're already dealing with so many partners and probably a CRM solution for managing discounts. So managing partners is a full time job for any restaurant or any retail it organization and being able to bring a fully formed solution that also has the flexibility to allow them the customization they want uh is really the key because a lot of these guys are not bringing the full solution they're throwing something together that's only a third or an eighth of the full solution that we need to roll and we don't have time to build the rest of it
0: Mm -hmm. yeah that's really good jason thank you um you know, one of the things you said I think is interesting, you know, a, a lesson learned that you had was that, you know, good design becomes your new server, your new – the person, you know, who used to be the face of your brand who would greet customers, take their orders, make sure they got everything okay, made sure they had a good experience. Those people were so integral to your your business and still arguably, you know, are. It's just shifted. But you found that, you know, the front-end design of how – people are interacting with your brand digitally as well almost takes on a role of being a server uh, at your at your restaurants, which I think is is really interesting and 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 is a cool is a cool call out for all of the UX designers who are building the interface with the customer um, to realize how important they truly are to your brand. I think that's a good lesson learned. And so I kind of want to you know pivot kind of to the last section of, of what I think we wanted to talk about because you know this this podcast is really for the industry. You guys at Denny's have had some really good learnings. I'm assuming. What advice can you give for other people listening who might find themselves in your shoes?
1: I think the real key is really to to focus. Um, find what works. Uh, it, it's something that we spent a lot of time trying to understand what we were going to be doing next, and 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 spending a lot of time really narrowing in on those things that were going to have the biggest ROI and the biggest bang for our buck. Um, and so we spent enough time doing the analysis to be able to move forward down the right paths but uh, not to because there's so many options I think that's real. The, really the problem is without Someone internally looking at your best interest. There are so many vendors coming at you because the vendors you guys are hurting just as much as we are. We're not Mm -hmm. investing in as many solutions as we as we have. You've had the same impact that we do, uh, but you don't have that direct sales. You're reliant on our customers just as much as we're reliant on our customers to generate new projects for you. And so I think the key thing is, is for restaurant Uh, Franchisors, especially those in IT, we're all being pulled in a thousand different directions by whoever's got the latest idea that has spoken to the latest leadership committee member uh, that thinks they've got the best ROI, and it's all gut feel. Um, And unless they have a solid way of providing an ROI that they understand is the greatest thing, prioritization is the key. You can't do everything well. You will probably end up doing um, too many things mediocre. And so we've got to focus in on the things that we want to do and really get those top five, top 20, whatever it is that you have the capability and capacity to do. Because I know all restaurant IT organizations have been hit very hard probably hit the hardest uh, from a resources perspective, from a furlough perspective. And so really being able to accomplish the things you want to do and, and grow that business in the right way, not just in the way that you're, some of your operators and some of your marketers who are throwing things against the wall to see what sticks, you can't do it all. Uh, and, and we've had to really focus our business on saying, okay, I need to know what the impact is. I need, I, you have these 17 things you want to do and I can do six of them. Which six really mean the most? And let's have the hard conversations that maybe that means we won't get to some of these on the list. Or at least we can prioritize that workaround. And, and one of the things it's led to is us um, doing a significant amount of investigation of uh, quick POCs. Uh, and I think that's really the key thing for me is the ability to fail fast. You've got to fail sometimes. You've got to fail some of these ideas or else you never fail fast. You just keep doing things Uh, and continuing to do things just spreads you thinner and thinner and means you'll never succeed at anything. So failing fast and calling something and saying, okay, we investigated this. It looks like it makes sense. The money's too much, or we found out this other business case on the other side and we need to cancel this and not move forward. Because with so many different partners coming at you in in, in every area, um, it seems like every partner wanted to build a QR system. Every partner wanted to build a, New ordering platform every partner wanted to build a new way to do curbside um, what you end up doing is getting exhausted by looking at everything that everybody's coming and if you're a franchisee uh, or if you're a franchise or with a lot of franchisees who are looking for everything they can do to rebound their business and yeah. they don't, don't want to be reliant on what they consider maybe slow moving bureaucratic franchisor organizations they're going to be trying everything uh, and what you end up doing is and this is something that we saw and we saw with you guys uh, every time a franchisee would come up with something we would come back to one of our Providers, that partners that we have a long standing relationship with, and say, Hey, we know you guys can do this better. Can you help us do that? Uh, and, and what it ended up doing is exhausting both of us, exhausting you guys from trying to put things together for us that we were reacting to what the, was the current top priority by our franchisees. And three weeks later, it's no longer their top priority once they find out how much it's going to cost. And so, Not exhausting and ruining those partnerships, not exhausting and ruining those partnerships between the IT staff and the business, or the IT staff and franchisees because you're not seen as reacting to them or delivering to them. You have to have people focused that are just on the customer service or what we call the business relationship management. So that's one of the things that I've taken into my team uh, that we've expanded the role of is the IT business relationship management, not just with my internal customers, but we have the brand advisory committees, which which we have franchisees sit on that I'm constantly talking to franchisees having those conversations with some of our larger franchisees that have IT, I call it, they have their own nerds and so I can have a nerd-to-nerd conversation with those guys and be able to say okay, here's the reality of what you're asking I know you're pushing for this new fangled, awesome, cool solution that you just heard, this super cool pitch that says it's completely ready, but here's what I can tell you, it's not integrated with POS it's not integrated with our back-end uh, providers, you can't process credit cards on that system, and oh by the way, we have no way of rolling out the QR codes. So they need to understand the reality and not just the pitch.
0: So I think you both touched on this, that, you know, making sure when you're part of an enterprise restaurant chain, especially one that's nationwide, being able to make sure your teams are having touch points with people on the ground and finding out what problems they have is a really good reminder. Because like, like like, Chris said, like we're, we're going to get tunnel vision and get stuck in our four walls and our work from home environment. And you have people on the ground really fighting the fight. And I think that's a good, important reminder for people to not forget that you have ambassadors on the ground who can tell you exactly what they need cool well I th- you know guys I think that that brings us to our time today uh, Jason uh, really thank you so much for, for being here really appreciate your insight um, Chris thank you so much as well for, for participating and uh, thank you for our audience for listening uh, join us next time on the table stakes podcast for a dash of innovation a pinch of technology a tablespoon of business strategy and a generous measure of good humor We'll talk to you next time if you have any questions about what you heard today? or would like to suggest a topic or guest for an upcoming episode, we want to hear from you. You can reach us at tablestakes@zenial.com. at zenial.com. Table stakes is produced by Michael Kowalski. Our audio engineer is Joseph Hawk and I'm your host, Andy Grindstaff.